and um, Thomas had phoned me up, someone who was meant to be speaking. I wasn't meant to be on until the end of the month, and so <clears throat> so I was free this morning and happy. I would have been here last week, so I would have, but I got a call. I think it was the same person that was meant to be here this morning. It was meant to be in Antrim last week. So I'm following him, and I hope to catch up with him one day. So that's good. Um, but at any rate, so, and they did tell me, um, Thomas did say to me, just speak the same message you spoke last week. Now, I am sorry that I wasn't in a prayer meeting, but I did hear that someone actually... Chris, was it you that said, mess up the pastor? Mess up his message. And my screen went blank. So your prayers are powerful, but I prefer that you picked on somebody else. It didn't do my blood pressure much good, so it didn't. Um... Uh, but at any rate, we're here anyway. I did get it back again, uh, so I did. And then someone all else said, um, when I said to him, I'm speaking the same message I spoke last week, but you know, they said, well, I listened to your message last week. I can go home now. <laughs> so, but at any rate, uh, you never speak the same message twice, sure you don't. At least that's what I'm praying. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this here, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the exceeding greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. And that verse of Scripture sums up everything that holiness is about. It's not about us. It's about the greatness of God and also about the power of God, that the power of God may be in us. And we live in, a, in an age today where there is incredible emphasis put on the vessel rather than the treasure. The treasure is intimacy with him. It's his relationship with him. But we do put so much pressure on... We, now, this is brilliant. The church in its structure has probably never been better. Um, we have better worship. We have better buildings. We have uh, better teaching. We have all sorts of stuff that's there, that's out there. And that's good, but that's the vessel. It's not the treasure. And, and we need to concentrate on the treasure. So much emphasis at times put on the vessel. It reminds me of a story that I was reading a book by um, Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard just passed away about two years ago, but he was an incredible philosopher and, and evangelical Christian. He came from the States. And he tells a story in his book. And the story is about uh, a group of people arriving on a desert island. And there's this solitary man that's there, and he's been there for years. And they noticed that there were several buildings on it that he had erected, wooden buildings that he had erected. And they said to him, what's that building? And, and he says, well, that's my home. I built that when I arrived. That's my house. Well, what's that building? And he says, well, that's 
the store. That's where I keep the food that I gather. That's where I keep all the resources that I think I might need. Keeps them safe. He says, well, what, that, what's that building? And he says, well, that's my church. That's the church that I go to. He says, well, what's that other building? He says, well, that's the church I used to go to. And in many ways, even we can get so caught up with the whole aspect of, of life and searching for something, which even he in the solitary figure was searching for, that believed even a change of venue would ratify that. And the, rea- and the reality of that is, that is a change of heart. And that heart, change of heart, doesn't happen by a better building or better worship or better preaching or teaching. It happens from a better, more intimate relationship with God. Right? Okay. Sorry about that. You really are messing me up, Chris, this morning. Right. A.W. Tozer, theologian and author, writes this, True religion confronts earth with heaven and brings eternity to bear upon time. And he goes on to say, This message doesn't grow out of these times, but it is appropriate to them. It is called forth by a condition which has existed in the church for some years and is steadily growing worse. I refer to the loss of the concept of majesty. I love that word, majesty, because I like it better than holiness. I mean, you're talking to a guy here a way back a few years ago when I didn't know better, that when we sang that song, here we are in your presence. Anybody know it? Lifting holy hands to you. I used to keep my hands in my pocket because I, I, I felt intimidated by it. By, by believing that I could lift my hands up and suddenly God would look upon these hands as holy because I had a wrong concept of God and a wrong concept of holiness. So it's wrong thinking. The loss of the concept of majesty from the popular religious mind has brought us into this situation. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted it for one so low, so ennoble, as to be utterly unworthy of a thinking, worshipping church. This she has done, not deliberately, but little by little, and without her knowledge, and her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. And I go in... And I've seen, I've, I've seen it even with people. And I've, I've seen it in churches. And, you know, it's not that I'm judging, but I just see it that there is, because I've seen the real thing. Um, 25 years ago, someone paid for me to go to Pensacola. Anybody remember Pensacola, Brownsville, AOG? Yeah, there was a revival that broke out there. It lasted for about five, six years. And I remember going there with Karen and myself and we went, we went for a week just. The kids were still quite small. 
and we went for a week. And I can tell you, we've we seen things that I could not have believed could have happened. I could have perhaps believed it if it happened 150 years ago in the 1859 revival. I could have believed if it happened maybe in some part of Africa or China or somewhere like that there where there are real moves. But to see it in the Western world, to see it happening, to see kids that were standing up at four or five-year-old giving messages in tongues, to see people that were coming in off the street because Brownsville was seated in an area that was a red light district. Beautiful church building, but it was right in the middle of a red light district. And to see prostitutes coming in and women from the church going over to them and putting, taking their coats off and putting them around them because the skirts had barely covered them and bringing them up and them falling on their faces front of a drug addicts were, I mean, there were street people that, that were alcoholics and did, were homeless and where they brought them up, the kids came over to them. These were people that you could smell the urine stained clothes that they were wearing and little kids coming up to them and, and taking them by the hand and bringing them up. And, and there were business people, business people that were steeped in pornography and coming up and, and just crying out to God for that. I can, I can remember Friday night was baptismal night, Friday night, and you couldn't get into it, but we were on the inside. We got special favor. Thank you, Jesus. And 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 there were kids that got saved the week before. Kids, when I say kids, they were borstal, what we would call borstal kids. They were, and, and, and these, were, these were doing time. They were doing time. But they weren't of the age. They were under 18, and they were in doing time. And, and they literally bust them in and bust their friends in to see them going through the waters. And many of them getting saved. And I know because I had spoken to several of them there that were on the inside, and they said, this stems out of intimacy with God. There's, there's an awe, there's a sense, there's a no, almost a, an aspect where you would say to yourself, God, I, I, just, I, I could feel that I could reach out and just touch him. The heaviness of the spirit the, the anointing of God just fell and you could reach out and you could almost push into it. You could almost push into it. To see people, that was, that was revival. I read about the Hebridean revival that happened in the 20th century. That happened in, in the island of Lewis. And you see in, in the island of Lewis were, were two wee women that cried out to God and suddenly the presence of Jesus came. The presence of God just came and, and, and just invaded that place. Do you know, there were fishermen that were out on the sea and as they passed by the island, they testified to the fact that they fell on their faces so powerful on the ships, on the boats, 
because the presence of God just permeated onto it. And if I can get through to you, well, holiness isn't getting the biggest Bible you can find in faith mission and carrying it up the street. It ain't anything to do with that. It's not kicking a TV out. It's not doing all those almost superficial things to think, God, will you be pleased with me now? And will you please touch my life? It ain't anything to do with that. It's to do with getting into, I cried. Let me tell you this here. You'll think it's probably funny. But as, as one of the visiting pastors that was at Pensacola, you, you come up and bring your credentials with you. And let them see your credentials. Because the night that we arrived was the largest outpouring. There were hundreds that were rushing to the front. Maybe sometime when I was speaking, I'll show you a video of it that we took of people literally. Went, they had to say to the folk, I, and, and I, I witnessed this, people that were getting up out of their seats and couldn't hold back from running to the front to give their lives to Christ. And, and Steve Hill had to say, don't move until I tell you. I mean, such was the conviction and presence of Jesus. And, and, and I, I seen, but that night that I went forward. And, you know, you get yourself into a mode where you're almost trying to convince the person that has come forward for salvation, you know, what they're doing. And, and say, I know what I'm doing. I know what I want to do. And, and just pray. Please pray for me. Please pray. And, and they couldn't wait for you to pray for them. The second night that I went, and this is true. You just, as I say, was to help them with it. And I sat and cried along with Karen and another person that was with us. We just sat and wept. So, so real. And, and I'm going to tell you, this is true. You might think it funny, but this is true. The first night that I went, I thought to myself, the most of my people, at least half of my people in Carried Off, aren't saved. The next night, Honestly, the presence of God so palpable. I said, nobody in my church is saved. And the third night, I couldn't go up forward because I says, I don't even think I'm saved. So powerful was the presence of God that you, you literally were impacted by it. And that's, I've got to say, that, that, even away from the atmosphere of the church. We stayed in a, in a log cabin just out in the country. It was just like what you would see in cowboy films. And, and it, was, it was fantastic. But the presence of God was there as well. And we could experience it. And you know, you see, once you have tasted that, nothing else will satisfy. To see kids where... You know, they didn't have their coloring books. They just had their hands up in the air. I mean kids, four, five-year-old. See, the low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. 
A whole new philosophy of the Christian life has resulted from the one basic error in our religious thinking. And with our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adoring silence. Maybe you're sitting and you're thinking, well, we haven't. But I can tell you, because I've tasted it, it can be so much better. And it can be so much better than anything that I have ever tasted. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who can appreciate or experience the life in the Spirit The decline of the knowledge of the holy has brought on our troubles. A rediscovery of the majesty of God will go a long way toward curing them. It is impossible to keep our moral practices sound or our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. If we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as he is, majestically and with a holy awe. Please don't miss this. What comes into our minds, I listen to this, please. This is important that you, you grasp this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Is he just somebody aloof? Is he just somebody that literally is a good go-to person if we found out that we really need him? The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. If you have a concept of God that is... I challenge any parent in this place to think of a child that you have loved and cared for and would die for, that you found out that they had a problem. And when you challenged them about the problem, they said, I didn't think I could approach you. You say, what? I didn't think that you would be sensitive. I, I, guy that spoke at my farewell service, a guy called Dave Campbell. Dave's on our Elam's um, executive council over in England, part of the national leadership team. He's, he's, he's a great guy. And he's quite humorous. And... Uh, in a very natural sort of way, quite humorous. But he told a story about his daughter. And his daughter always had a desire to go to university. And he shared this with the church, so it's not secret. And uh, his daughter fell in with a guy. And she got pregnant. 
And she knew the ramifications that it could have or believed that it could have on David, her dad, being a member of the NLT and the guy that should really, what many people's concept of pastors or leaders is that their family should be impeccable and no problems. And when she came to him and she told him, and she says, Dad, I got pregnant. I know it was wrong. And he said to her, what do you intend to do? And she said, what do you mean? And he says, what do you intend to do about the child? She says, obviously I'm going to have the child. And he said, I, I embraced her. And I just loved on her. And I said, and this is, this is the bit, he says, you know something? I'm really proud of you. What was he saying? He was saying that, you know, the big, bold decision that you took, you made a mistake, you did something that you believe, you know yourself was wrong. But the bigger decision wasn't having the abortion. The bigger decision, which is what you are, was saying. And I needed to celebrate that decision that she made. I, I think there are things that keep us away from God because we're fearful of God's reaction to us. A bit like me, keeping my hands in the pockets. Well, if anybody knows that George Ritchie's not holy, it's God. So I'm not going to be a hypocrite as well as that. That's a wrong concept of God. Can I say? That's idolatry. That's idolatry to believe that you can have a concept of God that is much less than what he is. I would, it would break my heart, and I'm sure for any father here, it would break your heart if you had a child that felt that because you were such and such that you couldn't approach them, that they couldn't approach you. Yet with all, we have that concept of God on many occasions. Let me fly on here. Time's far. Romans 1.21 says this, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. You confused this morning? You confused this morning? It's probably because you've got a wrong concept of God. He doesn't merely take away the guilt of a believer's sin. He does more. He breaks its power. My fear is that we are right, that, that as we rightly celebrate and in some quarters rediscover all that Christ has saved us from, we are giving little thought and making little effort concerning all that Christ has saved us to. Shouldn't those most passionate about the gospel and God's glory also be those most dedicated to the pursuit of holy, godliness, brackets, holiness, 
I worry that there is an enthusiasm gap and no one seems to mind. Now listen, and this is important, the commands of Scripture are not given to motivate believers to try harder, to become something they aren't already. Rather, the commands of Scripture flow naturally from the proclamations of Scripture about the believer's true identity. I shared this example last week. Just this past month, our queen died. And Prince Charles became King Charles III. And with that title came a load of other stuff like palaces and a residence in Scotland along with a load of corresponding responsibilities. Now listen, none of that happened because of Charles's performance as the Prince of Wales or how hard he worked or how good he was. It happened automatically and it was his divine right simply because someone died. His mother. Being king is who he is, not what he does. We, what we are to become in our behavior is rooted in who we already are in Christ. The goal of the Christian's life is simply to display in our lives the truth of who we truly are. What the try harder solution does is confuse the effect with the cause. It puts the passenger carriage before the engine. It implicitly is rather than vice versa. It implicitly assumes that what the believer does determines who the believer is instead of the other way around. What the try-harder solution does is confuse that. It confuses us. It makes the foundation for growth the goal of growth and thereby often hinders genuine growth. It reverses everything and puts the acting before the being. In contrast to the try-harder solution, the New Testament generally speaks of godly behavior as following the believer's identity in Christ. We heard that this morning. If we as believers have character and behavior problems, the fundamental problem isn't that we do not see and experience ourselves as we truly are. We do not consider ourselves as we are in Christ. The problem, in other words, is that the identity we experience is not in line with the true identity we have in Christ. If our faith is going to be powerful and transformative, it is going to have to be imaginative and experiential. St. Ignatius, founder of the Jesuits, wrote this here. It is not knowing a lot, but grasping things intimately and savoring them that fills and satisfies the soul. Memories shape us profoundly because we grasp them and savor them, not as information, but intimately. This is the manner in which we need to embrace our faith. I've said this before. Well, I, I can... When we pray, pray can be incredibly boring at times. And, and, and we think that, well, 
you know, it, it, it is that way. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be. And it's, it's on occasions like that that we need to begin to imagine ourselves. This God-given thing that God has given to us is imagination. And he gave it to us. It says that he has set eternity in our hearts. And this is, this is what excites me. And I've said this before. I, you know, if I'm reading about the 5,000 being fed, I'm one of those 5,000. I'm sitting on the hill and Peter's serving me a sandwich. I get into it. And that's what he wants. Because God gave us that imagination. I, I shared this story last week. My mother wasn't saved. And my dad got saved six weeks before he died. I was 24 when my dad died. And uh, the story behind it, I'll just touch on it. I'll not go right through it because I'm going to finish with this. My grandmother was a really godly woman. And uh, they were coming down way back in the early 50s, certainly before I was born. And they were involved in a car accident. Car left the road. Uh, coming down from Spelgadam. My grandmother was seriously injured. My grandfather survived. But Granny Ritchie was in the hospital and she called on all the family. She had 10 kids. Called them all. My father was second oldest. And called them all in and she prayed over every one of them that God would impact their lives. The youngest boy, Samuel, went into the ministry first. He went in, became an Anglican minister. He just died a couple of years ago. And one by one, everyone, my father, now, this, this was 25 years after that prayer went up, my father gave his life to the Lord six weeks before he died. My mom, so that's the family, every one of them gave their lives to the Lord, the power of a praying mom. And, and my uh, my mother, I thought, was going to get saved when my dad got saved and went to be with the Lord, but she didn't. As a matter of fact, she went the opposite. She became depressed, hit the bottle. As a result of hitting the bottle, she fell down the stairs, broke her neck, and had been in hospital for several weeks. She got out of hospital. We had invited an evangelist by the name of George Miller, a black guy from Jamaica, and brilliant gospel preacher and, and also operated in divine healing. Um, before we had that mission, I encouraged our folk now, think of someone that you're going to invite here, but get a picture of them sitting on the chair or something. Just don't say, Lord, bring this person along or whatever it was. I got a, no sooner had I said that and I went into prayer and God gave me a vision of my mother with her hands up like that, worshiping God. Just her hands up in the air like that. And it was strange because she wasn't saved. And was I going to see her come in to the meeting and put her hands up? But then I thought, well, a decision needed to be made before she could really worship God. And I was hoping that she wouldn't just have her hands up in the air because she's seen everybody else doing it. And that would be it. So, so at any rate, I said, thank you, Lord. I give you thanks in advance that she's going to get saved. That mission came. She didn't put her hand up, 
But George invited her to come forward because he's seen this collar around her neck. And he says, come forward. And he says, and do you know the first word she said to him? He says, you know, I'm not a Christian. In other words, I knew what she was saying. I don't deserve this because I don't even follow Jesus. And I've had opportunity. My family got saved and everything else. And he said, God's going to heal you. And he said that there. He's going to heal you because he loves you and because he's a compassionate God. You have a wrong concept of God. And George prayed for her. Took the collar off and she was able to do it. Never put it back on again. The mission ended. Went home. Six weeks later, George Miller phoned me up. He says, George, I'm doing two services in Belfast. Would you like me to come? And I said, he says, if a, I says, when? He says, of a free Sunday night. I says, yeah, come on ahead. I'll reschedule everything. I want to have you back. People will love it. They'll get back. And George came back. My mom really got saved. She really did get saved. She was telling everybody. Everything was brilliant. So I'm standing at the back of the hall. George is, sorry, George hasn't even got up yet, but they're worshiping the Lord. And I looks up, see the back of my mom, and she has her hands up in the air. The vision that God gave me. That's the power of imagination that springs from intimacy with God. You've got, you know, I, I want to pray this morning that, you know, that your eyes, not your physical eyes just, but, but the, your spiritual eyes will be able to see stuff that you couldn't believe. When we started our nursery, I seen it long before it was up. I shared the story about Walt Disney last week. I'm not going to go into it again. But we do put limits on ourselves. And when Disney World was being opened, Walt had died, I think, a couple of years or a year before it was due to be opened. But his wife was there. And as it was being opened and the celebration, all the dignitaries and all were there on the platform to, to, to open it up. Um, the, the guy said, what a pity Walt wasn't here to see this day. And his wife stood up and said, oh, Walt did see it long before any of you. I don't know what image you've got of this new build, of this new building. But can I say to you this here? Don't walk into it and see a big hall and see this and say, wow, we're going to do See it packed. See people walking up to the front and giving their lives to Christ. See cues on. I seen all that with Gary Duff. I did. I seen stuff. And we did. We filled it on a num quite a number of occasions, packed it out. And 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 but you've got to see it and you've got to hold on to it. If you don't see it, if you what you don't perceive is born out of what you don't believe. I want to encourage you this morning. Get the eyes of your understanding opened. Begin to believe. Maybe it's to believe for family members. Maybe it's to believe for you. God, 
would you give me the opportunity or the belief that I could talk to someone, that I could witness, that I could do this, that I could lead a home group, that I could do that? And if you are, God will do it. Hand over to Okay. Okay. Come on. Bless you. Hallelujah. Maybe, maybe there are things that that you, you know, were spoken into your life or you believed maybe a few years ago and they haven't happened and you've lost that dream or you've lost that vision. God is more willing to speak to you very often than what we are to hear. And I would encourage you, you see when you go to bed at night, ask God to give you dreams. Do you know, Maybe it's, it's issues in your family. Maybe it's issues that you have. Maybe it's financial stuff that's, that's, that's really worrying you. Maybe it's a health diagnosis that you're worried about and whatnot. Just ask God to be very, very real to you. And let me say this here. I believe that he will be. You know, if we ask bread, he's not going to give us a stone. If we ask for a fish, he's not going to give us a scorpion. And if you this morning feel that you would like to get fresh revelation for you and for this church, but specifically first and foremost for you, because let me tell you this here, big people build big churches. Big people build big churches. So as we are here this morning and as I'm about to pray, I want you to just simply raise your hands right now and believe this here, that if you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ as your own and personal Savior, no matter about your failures or stuff like that there, these are holy hands that God wants to touch this morning, right now. So as you raise them this morning, I just pray, Lord, I right now in Jesus' name, just give spiritual vision right now, right across the board. Lord, that there will be answers, divine answers, images, images that will see this is the way. This is, this, is, this is the way that you're leading us, Lord. This is the direction that you're leading us into. Lord, let me see a brighter tomorrow than this day is. Let me see a glorious day. Lord, that will see it be a glorious day for my, my own personal walk, for that of my family. And Lord, that indeed, that as I touch your heart, as I minister to you in worship right now, that Lord, you will reveal things to me and that you will soften this heart and cause me to be pliable for you in the days that lie ahead. In Jesus' name. If there's anyone I think that wants specific prayer, just you come forward as we worship the Lord. Bless you.